As I was studying for this a few weeks ago, I uh, was just studying along, you know, and thinking, well, this will be another one about Jeremiah and judgment and, and all these things. And, and what I came from finding uh, in Jeremiah 26 is it's very similar to the theme that we were on Sunday. If you were here, if you weren't, you can watch that. Um, but what we see tonight was um, something very special that God was involved in. But I also think that it is the blueprints for what a healthy church looks like. The same principles that we see in Jeremiah talking to the children of Israel are some of the same principles that this church needs to remember if we are going to avoid the fate of most Baptist churches. Uh, most Baptist churches are in a state of uh, plateau or decline. Uh, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 85 percent of 45,000 churches are either plateaued or are declining. You can drive to almost any church in Hamilton County and say, do you remember when? Do you remember when that church was busting at the seams? Do you remember when that church was busting in hundreds of kids? Do you remember when they were so full that, you know, you and I could do that if you've been here in this county any length of time. And so tonight I pray that that is not the story that your grandchildren and my grandchildren are telling. Do you remember what it was like when they actually had to use uh, all the Sunday school rooms? I was in a church here recently for a funeral and the comment was, we have not used any of our Sunday school rooms in almost two decades. Now, I don't know if that bothers you or not, but it should. They said, we've not, we've not met in the big sanctuary because there's not enough of us and the bill is too high. So we've been meeting in the old one. And I thought, that should break our hearts. You say, Jake, we're just too big. That could never happen to us. We could never end up that way. I want you to look up here tonight and listen, and absolutely, we could. This church could be as empty as any other church regardless of the amount of real estate that we own. And uh, this chapter tonight, there's a lot of disagreement over when exactly uh, Jeremiah would have said this. Some people think it was three years or four years earlier than what we've been studying, um, but it's not important. What is important is that Jeremiah warns the people of God. He warns them and warns them and warns them, but there is some principles in here that are important for us to be faithful like Jeremiah was faithful. And so tonight, if you're taking notes, I hope that you will. Um, the first thing I want to show you tonight is that in Jeremiah's day and in our day, there is a need for truth. There is a need for truth. Let's just look here at verses 1 through 6 and what Jeremiah has been asked to do. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command you to speak to them. He says, I want you to go to the front door of where people are coming to worship. That is like God telling someone to come to the front door of church or wherever you and I are entering in and start saying something. Right? It's kind of like um, the, the, the bell ringing at, at uh, Christmas time. It's a, it's a wonderful thing and you volunteer uh, to do it, I hope. But have you ever not had change in your pocket? And dreaded walking through with the bell ringers there. It's everything in me is like, I feel like a terrible person. Because I'm walking by them and I'm not going to put anything in. And so it, you, you kind of walk in like, I'm sorry I forgot my change. And you know they're thinking, heathen, right? <laughs> That's what everybody says, right? Or you come up to the intersection and they're collecting for something. And, and you're like, oh, I don't have any money. And, and you make that dreaded stop by the window and you don't roll your window down. And you're like... Uh, when I was in Kiwanis, we used to do that for peanuts. We were peddling peanuts on the corner. And, uh, and uh, I'll never forget, 
I, I thought I saw people with guilty consciences at church as a pastor, but it was nothing compared to people that would pull up at that window and they'd roll it down and be like, I'll go get some change and be back. I'm like, that's not why we're down here for, but this idea of front and center, you're going to get the message. How many of you have ever seen people standing at the intersection collecting money and turned on the street before? You can be honest, right? I've done it. Especially if it's an organization, I don't want to get my money, right? I'm like, huh? I don't want to feel guilty, but I also don't want to give you any money. So I've done that. And so, but this idea is that God says, I want everyone to hear. And not the people that are skipping worship, but the people that are what? Coming to worship. And so he is not just speaking to the nation of Israel. He is speaking to the nation of Israel that have some identity in worshiping God. And tonight I think that's applicable to us because God needs the people who are recognizing Him to hear Him. Yes, we believe that evangelism matters. Yes, we believe that reaching the lost and helping the hurting and the broken. Yesterday we sent uh, over $600 worth of... Uh, food and waters to Houston, Texas. Why? Because there's a great need for that. But the greatest need that we have as God's people is to hear from Him and to hear what He has to say to us. And so He tells Jeremiah, you go stand in the court and proclaim all the words that I command you to speak to them. Now I want you to listen to these last five words in chapter 2, verse 2. Do not diminish a word. Now, if someone tells you, don't forget or mess this message up, it's probably for one of two reasons. It's really important, and it's really something that they're not going to want to hear. If you've ever been a supervisor of an employee or employees, and you've ever had to go tell someone something that, that you knew they wouldn't want to hear, you're like, maybe I could pass that on to someone else. Maybe you have been in that situation where you needed to know something very important and somebody forgot to tell you. You see, I think it's important here because what he's getting ready to tell Jeremiah to say puts his life in danger. But he says, don't you diminish it a word. And the great message that we need to be reminded of as a church is that that message has not changed. The church of Jesus Christ is still to be proclaiming the Word of God and not diminishing it at all. I always get a kick out of it. I've never met a pastor yet that comes up and says, You know what, Jake? I don't preach the Bible. I've never met one yet in person. Every pastor I know, yeah, I preach the Bible. I preach the Bible. Every time I talk to a person, I want to go to a church where the Bible's preached, where the Bible's preached, where the Bible's preached. But what I can tell you is, Wanting that in your head and being willing to accept it are two different things. Everyone loves sermons that don't apply to them usually. But all of us have sermons that we like to hear less about than others. Some of you love sermons that involve politics. So we've lost people because of it. Some of you love to hear sermons about a drunkenness, but yet you would hate to hear sermons about unforgiveness. You see, let's be clear tonight that all of us have areas in our life that when the Bible is preached and speaks to it, it's not our favorite. And as a pastor, I, I'll be extremely honest with you. There are topics in Scripture I have no problem preaching about. And they just come right out. But there are others that are not as easy to talk about. And so I want you to hear this tonight, that even though we say we want it, and even though we say we're willing to do it, when the pressure is on, all of us are tempted to compromise. It's just like when it affects your family, when it affects your marriage. That is in those moments where it's the people that we love the most that we are usually the most willing to turn a blind eye. How many times have you heard a, a sermon against something? I was so disappointed this week uh, with Max Licato. Uh, Max Licato preached uh, 17 years ago uh, in the National uh, Cathedral and he was talking about how uh, uh, same-sex marriage is a sin and, and sex outside of marriage is a sin and, and sexual purity matters to God. And, 
and there was some really big blowback this week, and he came out and apologized for what he had said and how he had said it and, and that he was not very loving. And it broke my heart because what happened is someone believed something, preached something until people got angry with him. And then he said, well, you know, no. That's two this week that have absolutely crushed my heart. And maybe you've heard about uh, uh, Ravi uh, Zacharias. It has just broken my heart to, to see these things that have come out. And, and it's so important... For us, not to just be willing to speak the truth, but understand that the longer God leaves us here, the more the world is going to hate truth. Uh, one of the greatest ministries we have is our media ministry. It, it reaches tons of people, but it can also be the ministry that keeps me up the most at night. Because you all mostly think a lot like I do. <laughs> the people that watch that thing, not so much. And so it's, it's nothing for two years, three years down the road, someone to come up and be like, do you remember when you preached on this? Uh, no, not really, but, but if you tell me where it's at in the Bible and what the context was, I can, I can try to talk to you. Well, you know, you said this, and, 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 and I don't know how many times I've been like, well, that's what it, I said, but that must not have been what I was meaning, right? Or, or you misunderstood, or uh, one of the funniest ones, not funniest ones is, uh, I was preaching against lust, and I was preaching that young men, don't throw away everything that you have because even young pretty women can get old and ugly. That was my statement, word for word. But all the women that watch our services and listen to our services heard this sentence, all young women get old and ugly. Because I was walking through the hospital and someone that doesn't go here says, all women get old and ugly. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, you said in your sermon, all women get old and ugly. I said, ma'am, I am dumb, but I'm not that dumb. I said, the context was I was preaching against lust and don't throw your marriage away. Don't throw your purity away for something that could not look the same in 40 years as it does now. That was the context of what I was preaching. In no way was I saying that all women get old and ugly, all right? If you live long enough, you'll get old, all right? But I would never touch that other part. But this person was not happy, angry. And she said, we've all been sitting here at the nurse's station talking about it too. I went, Lord, have mercy. And so even to this day, every time I see her, which it's now a joke because she understands us, old and ugly. Old and ugly. And friends, I know that there is coming a day very soon that the things that we believe, that we preach, that we stand for will continue to be less and less accepted in the world that we live. But it cannot diminish how we proclaim the gospel. It cannot diminish the things that God has said because listen to what Jeremiah is told here in this text. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of their evil doings. And you shall say to them, God says, I want you to preach this so they have the opportunity to repent. And he says, and you shall say this, to them. Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law which I have set before you to heed the words of my servants, the prophets whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded or listened. Then I will make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. He says, I'm going to destroy this city and I'm going to make this city like a curse to the world. And he says, that's what's coming. And he says, that's what I want you to go tell them as they're walking into worship. They got their, we're going to worship. And someone's standing at the front of the door saying, you're not listening to the preacher. That's what it would be like. You're walking into church on Sunday morning and someone's standing out there going, you're going in there, but you're not going to listen. Doesn't do you any good to sit on them chairs. You're not going to listen. What would you say? 
that person's crazy. You call the police, get him off our property. And God says, I want you to stand right in the middle of them and I want you to tell them that they refuse to listen and judgment's coming. You see, that's why God said, don't you diminish it one word. Because Jeremiah is probably thinking, well, I'll stand in the middle of them and say, hey, if you guys don't mind, <laughs> if you could listen to God better, right? Or if you would pay a little bit better attention, or you'd listen to when the message is presented, you'd pay more attention when the sacrifice is offered. It never ceases to amaze me. If I preach on emotional things, right? Depression, discouragement, overcoming trials and obstacles, the altars will have lots of people. But when a sermon is just an old-fashioned, you need to repent, you need to get right, you need to change, you need to turn, you'd be how surprised, but you're supposed to have your eyes closed, by the way, how you might look down and there's nobody there, look down there's no one there. Why is that? Because none of us like to be corrected. None of us like to be told that we're not doing what God has asked us to do. But he tells Jeremiah, you need to do it no matter the cost. And as a husband, as a father, it is my job to be the, to be the, to be the bearer of that truth to my family, even if it's not well received. It is your job as fellow believers to be willing to proclaim the truth regardless of the cost. Sunday I made the statement that too many people are being devoured by Satan because too many Christians refuse to speak up. And if you're here tonight and you're honest, you've been in church long enough to watch it happen. Good people, which no one's good, get devoured by people who devour everyone. And the church usually stands by and says, well, they give a lot of money. Or their grandparents started the church. Or, you know, they, they're good workers and so it's probably best for us just to keep our mouth shut and let it unfold as it unfolds. The Bible tells us that we are to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. The Bible says we are to watch out for one another, love one another. And tonight I challenge you to proclaim the truth, whether it's about salvation, whether it's about your relationships in your life, whether it's about your children and grandchildren, because God has told us to be proclaimers of the truth. And tonight I tell you to take notes because I want you to say that it starts with me. It starts with the pastor. In 2 Peter chapter 1, or 2 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can write it down for later. It says these words of warning. And tonight you ought to always be evaluating whether or not what I am preaching is true or false. For almost 10 years I have told you, please take notes for two reasons. One, so that you can go home, study it, read over it, remind it. Because if you remember everything I say in 35 minutes, you're a special kind of person, okay? And second... You always should be evaluating it to make sure that I am not a heretic. You say, Jake, we've known you, we've listened to you long enough. Many a preachers have went astray with the harbor in sight. And so you cannot just trust, well, we know your family, we know your parents, we know your grandchildren, we are grandparents, we know your aunts and uncles. That doesn't matter. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves switched destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Who is Peter warning here? A group of 
He says there have been and there will continue to be. And whose responsibility do you think it is to be on guard in a church to make sure that heresy is not being taught? One, do you think it's a first-time guest? Do you think it is the Christmas and Easter people? Do you think it's the people that are just here whenever it's convenient? Or do you think it probably rests on the people who are here on Sunday morning, in Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, deacons, Sunday school teachers, ministry leaders? Which category do you think it falls to to be on guard? The last one. It's your responsibility. You're the one that has listened to me teach and preach and teach and preach and teach for more than many of you want to. But you just keep listening. And you ought to be keep listening and evaluating to make sure. Because what happens is when false teaching gets into the church, it is almost impossible to get rid of it. Because you know what happens? False teaching is sometimes done because people don't know any better. Sometimes people are young or they're old. They get led astray by a teacher they love. I cannot tell you the amount of Christians that I know who started out right on track and got mixed up in different things, different beliefs, different teachings. But friends, what I can tell you is some people do it just because they make a mistake. Other people do it on purpose. But you know what the problem was? False teachers and false prophets, especially in our setting, all right? Hamilton County, 8,000 people, is most people are related to who? Some, everybody, right? Except the Dykstras. Yeah, they're from way up north. But false teachers are not usually someone just traveling through town that you and I don't know. It's people that we've known our whole life. It's, it's people that maybe we even sit across the table from at family gatherings. Some of our closest friends. You see, the issue is they come in, what is that word there it says? Secretly. No one walks into church usually. We've had a couple that, that came in that way and said, Here I am to destroy the church. Here I am to teach all kinds of things against what the Bible says. That's not usually how they show up. They usually show up nice and sweet and wonderful. Well, they're so-and-so's kid. They're so-and-so's parents. They're so-and-so's nieces and nephews. And when you have surgery and they remove something from you, whether it's your gallbladder, whether it's cancer, whatever it is, there is usually side effects, right? They have to cut you open. They have to take it out. Uh, usually I go to surgeries before people have their surgeries, but when... Gary Mullins had his knee surgery. I got to be there after he woke up. And it was funny, but not too funny. It was, you know, that was kind of enjoyable. I thought, maybe I'll go to all these surgeries late and stay for the... No, I'm kidding. Boy, they cut him open. They, 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 they worked on his knee and everything. And, but there's a recovery time, right? I went by and seen him afterwards when he was recovering. And friends, once false teaching gets in the church, it costs something to get it out. It costs relationships, it costs friendships, and it never just stays to where it should. It always spreads. It's like cancer. It starts with one person, then infects two or three people, then it affects a Sunday school class, then it affects a women's ministry, then it affects a men's ministry, then it, and then by the time it spreads, and when you realize it spreads and you try to get the source of the cancer, what has happened? It's got roots everywhere. That is why you see Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, Episcopalian churches, pretty much every kind of church outside of the Catholic church because of their uh, hierarchy structure, that when you have problems, it's usually not with the source. It's usually with what the source has touched. And friends, what you and I have to be willing to do is when it starts, stop it. We can't turn a blind eye. And that's especially important for a church as old as ours. 200 years 
Those are a lot of long-term relationships, long-term friendships, a long history. But no matter what, we have to recognize that there is a need for truth. There's a need for truth in the church. There's a need for truth in your family. There's a need for truth in your home. And you and I are, are commanded to proclaim it, not to diminish it in the slightest. Second thing, thoughts as we move on down. Second thing we see is that truth divides. You say, well, Jake, the truth is always the right thing to do. You're absolutely right, but it doesn't always mean it's the easiest thing to do. Listen to what happens here in verses 7 through 11. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking. At least they let him finish. All the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people that the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You will surely die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own end. Ears. So the religious leaders take him and say, you're going to die. You are not going to get to say things like that. Did you notice they didn't for one second take into consideration the warning? It doesn't say anything about the fact that they were warned. It just says the judgment, the consequences. And so now you see why God told him, don't you diminish it one bit. But truth divides. You say, well, Jake, if we're nice enough to everybody, all people will love our church. No, they won't. You say, well, Jake, if we're just, if we're just kind enough to all people, they'll all, they'll all come here. No, they won't. You see, you and I need to understand something, that we are called to love people, but that the truth cannot be compromised regardless of the cost. You see, Jeremiah here is looking like he's going to lose his life for telling God's people what God's people needed to hear. In our day, we call that running off the pastor. His day was literally off with the pastor's head. He had done nothing wrong. These people were supposed to know God, to know who God is, to hear from God. And he shows up and tells them what God wants for them. And the response is to die. Back in Jeremiah chapter 8, <laughs> Jeremiah warns them again. He says in Jeremiah chapter 8, starting in verses 4, the significance of how truth divides. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So he says, he says remember all these times that God dealt with wicked people? So he tells us, one, that Satan and the rebellion of the angels in heaven is real. Satan is real. Hell is real. He tells us that the world was flooded, just like the book of Genesis says. So a worldwide flood, 
killing all the inhabitants of the earth except for eight is real. He tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed just like God said they were. Why is he telling them this? Because he's trying to tell them that it's coming for you as well. But God says perhaps they will listen and turn. You see, as a parent, I want my children to remember the discipline that they get so that they don't continue to do whatever it was that got them disciplined, right? Makes sense. The goal is to spank your child for one instance, hopefully that that will not be done again. And God says, I want you to remember that I am not just telling you something and not going to follow through. What I say is what I mean. I, uh, I, I have seen and seen and seen it time and time again. I walk through Walmart just to be creepy, right? I don't really need anything, but I got some time to kill. So let's walk through and see what kind of craziness you'll see, right? And you'll always see, right? It's, it's, not, it's a mom and a dad usually, right? And the kid's doing something. It's like, if you do that one more time, if I hear that, I stay by. Because I want to see whether or not that kid's going to do it again. And you know what happens about 98% of the time? Kid does it again. Get what the parent does. If you do that one more time, it gets louder. It's like, man, this kid's deaf. I can't hear apparently, you know. So I stand there a little longer, you know. I'm not staying close enough where it's creepy and they turn me into the police or nothing, but <laughs> a few minutes later, guess what happens? If you do that one more time, and I'm thinking, what? The kid must have ran off or something or trying to, trying to get their attention, you know. And that kid knows what? Ain't nothing going to happen. You're just going to keep getting louder and louder and everybody in the store is going to think you're talking to them. God says, I'm not like that. God says, I'll forgive you if you ask, but if you won't, judgment's coming. And truth divides. It's the same way in our homes. It's the same way in our community. If you want to truly watch someone get angry with you, when they tell you another way to get to heaven than the gospel, you tell them they're wrong. And that if you don't do it, Christ's way, you're going to die and go to hell. The first time you tell someone that, that's not fair. You're closed-minded. You're a bigot. You hate people. You see, most of us never experienced that because we've never got off the bench, right? We'll, we'll invite people to church. We might even talk to them about the Lord and answering prayer. But when you really see truth dividing is when someone says, well, I... I, don't, I respect your opinion, Jake, but I just believe this is what it takes. And I always try to say, well, I respect your opinion, but you can be wrong respectfully. And it goes real well after that. But why? Friends, the Bible tells us there is one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the... He says... No man cometh to the Father except through the... There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. The Bible unapologetically teaches that it's Christ by grace through faith alone. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So when someone tells you, well, I think baptism can get me to heaven. It's not what the Bible teaches. I think the Lord's Supper can get me to heaven. It's not what the Bible teaches. I think I'm good enough to go to heaven. It's not what the Bible teaches. And people will not be upset with you as long as your way is right and their way is right. It gets bad when you tell them your way is wrong. That's where the problem happens. It's, it's kind of like any topic. Whether it's, what does the Bible teach about marriage? What does the Bible teach about husbands and wives? What does the Bible teach about children and raising them? The list goes on and on and on. On and on. So, for instance, here's one that, that I'm going to use, and I don't care if you like it or not, right? 
I got a master's degree. I can do something else for a living. But uh, <laughs> sex before marriage is a sin. The Bible never says it's okay. The Bible always condemns it, never condones it, never. But yet, because it has affected all of us in some way, maybe it wasn't you, maybe it was your your kids or your neighbors or your friends, we can't talk about it. We won't talk about it. But yet it is doing more to destroy young people than almost anything. And from time to time I will talk to an educator or someone that's much smarter than me, an administrator, and they'll say, Jake, you've just got to teach kids that they have to be careful. You just have to teach them that they have to do what makes them happy. And what I want you to know is that God forgives any sin. I believe that. Except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We cannot let the regrets and shame of our past keep us from declaring what God says is right. That's just one example. It's one example. Well, it's shacking up. Had a lady recently tell me, Jake, I want them to live together so they can know each other better and then they'll know whether or not they should get married. You, you name it. They love each other. They like each other. It doesn't, it, you've seen it. You've heard it. And tonight, some of are angry that I talked about it. And like I said, I don't really care. It affects me. It's affected me. But I'm telling you tonight that the truth divides third thing is what we see here, and it's the great danger for our church. It's listening to the truth, but not living it. Listening to the truth, but not living it. Listen to what it says in verse 12. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now therefore... Amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that He has pronounced against you. He says, if you'll repent and turn, God won't destroy you. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city, and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. So the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord. They listened and said, He has spoken from God. But guess what they did? Nothing different. That's like sitting in church. Boy, that was good. That was a good sermon. And leaving and doing what? The exact opposite. It'd be like sitting in Sunday school, listening to your teacher say, Boy, you really need to be reading your Bible on a daily basis. And you going, Amen, Amen, that's right. And then going home and doing nothing. You see, as a church, we cannot just listen to truth. We have to be willing to live out truth. When the sermon's about forgiving people, we can't just say that's a good sermon about forgiving people. We have to be willing to what? Forgive people. (laughs) When I stand up here and talk to you about purity, I have to make sure that I'm not just telling you about purity, but that I'm going to live pure. That I'm going to watch things that are pure. I'm not going to listen to things that are not pure. I'm not going to be led into situations where my purity is put into jeopardy. You see, most churches die at this point. Right here. You have all heard thousands of hours of sermons, right? Some good, some bad, some boring, some not boring, right? It's true. You all have heard enough from the Bible that you will not be able to live it all out. Sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. And most people are that way. 
Have you spent any time in church at all? You've heard it and you've heard it and you've heard it and you've heard it. But most churches refuse to go from listening to living. How the preacher can stand here and say, you ought to love one another. And then every month at a church business meeting, which we don't have them every month, so I'm not talking about you, right? You've got deacons cussing. You've got people almost coming to physical blows. You, you, maybe you've not seen a business meeting like that, but they happen. People screaming, shouting, arguing. See, they heard that verse about loving one another, but yet they would not live that verse. As a pastor, the Bible says that my home has to be in order. I've preached this to you since the time I came here, right? My kids are not old enough yet, but they are fastly, quickly, fastly is not a word, quickly approaching an age where that's going to be put to the test. I cannot keep my children from doing things, but I've got to be willing to correct them and to discipline them and to take a stand when they do it. Well, there's preachers, kids. That's just what I expected. Isn't that the same? And we laugh about it, right? Well, they're just a preacher's kid. And you know what's worse than a preacher's kid? The deacon's kids. But I want you to hear this. If a pastor not having his home in order disqualifies him, and deacons not having their home in order disqualifies them, are we in any way surprised that the church of Jesus Christ is a broken mess? We've got people leading and got no business leading. We've got people making decisions that have no business making decisions. And what happens is we've listened and we've listened and we've listened, but we won't live. We won't live the things that we have been taught. But listen to what Proverbs 2 says. These have become some of my favorite verses from the book of Proverbs, and there's a lot of them. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, My son, if you receive my words, if... And treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. This is where it gets good. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but there's a whole lot of foolish people. And there's a whole lot of people who think they're not foolish that are extremely foolish. But when I think about pastoring you, I think, Lord, if I don't know what you want, this is going to get ugly in a hurry. Lord, if I don't know what you want for Tony and I's marriage... <laughs> this is going to get ugly in a hurry. Lord, if I don't know what you want me and Tony to do as parents, this is going to get ugly in a hurry. But it says there, if you will seek it, if you will pursue it, if you will desire it, you will what? You will find it. You will find out who God is, first of all. And that is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you is knowing God. Knowing who He is and knowing His attributes and His love and care for us. But knowing what God wants for your life is right after that. Because friends, what we are drowning from in this world is a lack of knowledge for the things of God. And what God wants for our marriages and our churches. And what we see here is you're going to listen, you've got to live. But you can't just hear. You have to listen and apply it. You know, what I have found out is, is harder than calling someone out on their sin is being called out on your sin. Now most of you are saying, well, I've never been called out on my sin. Well, that's because apparently we're not a very good church at doing that. You see, I want you to hear something. If you're married... There ought to be times in your marriage where your spouse comes to you and says, now let's be careful. We don't want the drippy faucet, right? Okay. But I love you and I am concerned. My wife has to say it to me sometimes. And you know what? I hate it every single time. Every time when that conversation starts, I have not enjoyed it. I wish Jody was that nice. She's always like, she 
<laughs> you don't want you want to stop that conversation right there. You want, you want to leave that alone. <laughs> but it's but it's necessary. And in church, in Matthew, it says what? To first to remove so that you can do what? Remove the speck from your others. I am not the person who should be telling you about eating healthy. Right? <laughs> Don't eat like me. Right? So it is extremely hypocritical for me to say, well, I probably ought to preach on gluttony this Sunday. How's that felt? It was one loop bigger, right? <laughs> and all week I've been trying to eat better. All I had tonight was dessert. I didn't have the regular food, just dessert. You got to cut calories somewhere. That makes it better. Had one little bowl. Little bowl. Yeah. Skip meals, just do dessert. But, but, but if you love me and you see me heading toward disaster, why would you not warn me? And if I love you and see you heading to disaster, why would I not warn you? The reason is this. Because I believe in generations past, the church has become the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this story. We poked at things, we prodded things, we, we, we kicked people out of churches, we ran them off for things that we had no business doing that for. And so we have been so much like the Pharisees that the pendulum has swung the other way. That we can't correct anybody on anything. And there's a healthy balance in the middle that says... I love you. I understand what you're going through. I understand that you have struggles. I have struggles too. But we cannot turn a blind eye as people continue to self-destruct. I love superhero movies. Love it because there's usually someone in distress. Someone saves them, rescues them before something bad happens, right? And... We, we like that. That's why some of the biggest selling movies in the world are, are superhero themed movies. We like the idea of being saved from something. The problem is we don't like being saved from something if we enjoy what it is that we're doing. You see, sin that I don't like is not a big deal if someone corrects me. But it's the sins that I enjoy are the ones that bother me. The sins are the one that I take pleasure in. Those are the ones that it bothers me. And so the church must always be the first to forgive. There is not a time in this church's life that if someone repents and comes back that we should not welcome them. The Bible says you welcome those and pray that God changes them, turns them around and brings them back. But it also says have nothing to do with a divisive person. You see, the Bible always speaks to both. Correction, love, repentance, restoration. But I want to show you something very important here because we're running out of time. Is sometimes you need others to stand for truth with you. And this is why I said, I believe this is the reason that Baptist churches are dying. Many Baptist churches have preachers that are trying to preach the word, but the leaders want no part of it. And there are many Baptist churches who have people who aren't preaching the truth, but yet leaders who want them to, but yet they can never get on the same page. Jeremiah has been told by God, he's preached the word, they threatened to take his life, the people said, no, we're not going to, and then a group of people speak up on Jeremiah's behalf. Listen to what it says in verses 17 and 19. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to the assembly of the people, saying, Makah of Moreshtha, the prophet in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountains of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judea ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. You see, tonight I'm speaking to you, deacon, Sunday school teacher, church leader in any capacity. It is not just the pastor's job 
to stand alone. Like I said, you can fire me, I'll do something else. Not, no skin off my back. But if you love truth and love God, it should not be the practice, as in most Baptist churches, to let the pastor drown on an island by himself. Well, you know, so-and-so's kid's living in sin. Preacher, why don't you go take care of it? This has been the theme here. You know, Jake, so-and-so's slandering someone else in the church. Why don't you go take care of it? Jake, you know, this person over here has ran off four people in our church. Why don't you go do something about it? That's the Baptist way. If it's going to hit the fan, let him do it. He gets paid. (laughs) But what we see here is these elders, knowing that they are wanting to take Jeremiah's life, join on Jeremiah's side and say, we're doing the wrong thing here. He's telling us the truth. We ought to listen. We ought to support. We ought to be there with them. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Let the elders, elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all. That means if there's public sin in my life and it's proven, you ought to publicly rebuke me. Not privately, publicly. And the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourselves pure. It says you don't turn a blind eye because someone has an elevated position, but yet you also don't destroy them without cause. What he says here is you and I are on the same team. It's not the pastor's job to clean up every mess. If you heard the gossip, it's your responsibility. If you're the one that's been wronged, it's your responsibility. And when that begins to happen in the church, it shows people who are causing the problems that it's not our group against the pastor. It is a united church. And friends, the Bible says, what? That it's Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right? <laughs> but I'm not going to lie. Sometimes Jesus is all you need. He's always all you need. But it's really nice to have someone standing there on the firing line with you. I'm just telling you, as a pastor, I've been here nine years now. You can take it for what it's worth. And there have been times in my pastor where I have got ready to go into a meeting and I thought, oh, this is going to be bad. Oh, this is going to be really bad. And somebody will call me like, hey, uh, what do you got going on? Getting ready to go into a really bad meeting. Well, that's really funny because the Lord said I needed to come and go with you. And it's made all the difference. There have been times when... When as a pastor, I've had to have some of the most awful, hard, difficult, challenging conversations I could ever ask. And I know the Lord was with me, but I didn't go into those rooms by myself. I had two or three deacons sitting here, two or three deacons sitting here, one deacon sitting here. And I'm telling you, friends, you can be that kind of a support or you can be the other. You say, Jake, I won't cause any trouble or I won't help with any trouble. Then you've done nothing. If you go to church long enough, with people long enough, you'll be put in situations where you can either turn a blind eye or do what is right. You have a, it's going to happen. <laughs> it will happen. I am telling you it will happen. And the choice you make will make a difference. Last thing, because I am out of time and, and I'm sorry, is that you've got to trust God to fight for the truth. You have to trust God to fight for the truth. Look what it says here in verse 20. Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Urijah the son of Shemaiah of Kerjath-Jerim, who prophesied against the city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king with all his mighty men and all the princes heard these words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Urijah heard it, he was afraid and fled. And went to Egypt. 
Then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, Elnath the son of Akbor, and other men who went with him to Egypt. And they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Hahim, the son of Shaphnam, was with Jeremiah, so that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. Not only does God fight for the truth, He puts people in the right places to fight with you. Did you hear that? This guy preached the same thing Jeremiah did, got scared and ran to another country, but it couldn't protect him. They found him, they brought him back, and they put him to death. But Jeremiah said, Lord, you told me to preach right in the middle of them. You told me not to back off one bit from it. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to preach it. And Lord, if they kill me, they kill me. But the Lord said, I'm with you. And the great thing about the Lord, if the Lord be for you, who could be against you? You see, you would be surprised how many times <laughs> churches have problems. And ours has problems too. It is not a perfect church. I am not a perfect pastor. You just get the uh, unedited version on Wednesday nights, I guess. How after years and years and years of having trouble at church and it finally coming to a head, someone will say, yeah, Jake, I wish someone would have took care of that a long time ago. I knew it was going on. And I'll go, thanks a lot. Well, you know, who am I? How can I stand up for what's right? How, how can I do the right thing? Because God's with you. <laughs> and God has called you to a time as this. If God didn't want you to be a part of this church, He'd have made you a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Second Baptist or whatever. But you're here for a reason. It's either to build the church up or to tear the church down. And friends, whatever God allows to come into your situation, into your life, there is an opportunity to stand or to cave. Every opportunity, every conversation, every decision, there's an opportunity to stand and to trust that God will fight with you or you can run to the backside of the desert. But I want you to hear this tonight. There is nowhere that you can run to, <laughs> nowhere that you can run to, to keep you from the heartaches of this life. You say, well, Jake, I'll go to a church of seven people. Well, there are seven people there that are sinners. You say, Jake, I'll go to a church of 500 and no one will even know I'm there. You know how many sinners are there? 500. Doesn't matter how big, how small. You say, well, I'll never get married. That way I'll never have a fight. Trust me, someone in your family has gotten married. And they'll have trouble. It'll drag you into it. You say, well, my kids have gotten married and that's been a, a disaster. You have a chance to either be a positive influence on it and to love and to care for them, or to say, well, you know what, that no good person, they are worthless, right? You have an opportunity at work. You say, well, I'm going to work by myself. I'm going to work from home and never deal with people again. You find that job, let me know, okay? But uh, you say, I'm never going to deal with people. You eventually will, and you'll have an opportunity in every situation to be a person of truth and integrity or not. And so the question that I have for you tonight is, will you be a Jeremiah? You say, Jake, I'm not even a male. I can't be a Jeremiah. Well, you can be a Jeremiah being or something. I don't know. That's not a good name, but it's better than Jacob being high, I guess, right? You say, Jake, I, I'm, I'm just a, a mother. I'm, I'm just a daughter. It doesn't matter. God will put you in situations where He wants you to stand for the truth. The question is, will you? You see, the world is full of people unlike Jeremiah. The church is full of people unlike Jeremiah. But when a Jeremiah and the elders can get on the same page, God will do amazing things. You see, pastors get fired all the time for lots of things. Attendance isn't big enough. Right? Sermons are too long, too boring, too short. You name it, right? Lots of reasons. 
And none of those are reasons that they should get fired for. They ought to get fired when they're failure in their morals. They ought to get fired when they're a heretic. They ought to get fired when they are doing something dishonest. You see, we evaluate success by the world standards when really sometimes God's allowing us to go through hardships so that we can show Him that we'll stand. You've got to stand in battle before you win the victory. And friends, the Bible says we are in spiritual warfare. But yet most of us come to church saying, I I don't want no spiritual warfare. I don't want no difficulties, no obstacles, nothing. I just want to come in a sermon and enjoy the sermon, enjoy the songs, enjoy the fellowship, and go home. That's That's my spiritual warfare. I drove the speed limit to get here. Spiritual warfare is ugly. It's brutal. But yet it changes lives for all eternity. And you can be a part of it if you will.